Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. To the Copy Podcast and episode five of Famous Fans. I'm Mick Moran and I'm delighted to be joined by Chef TV presenter and massive Liverpool fan Simon Rimmer. Thanks for jumping on, Simon. How are you doing? Hi, Mick. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm on good form. Yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, good. We've just been talking about how good, how nice your t-shirt is. Having a little chat about that. Looks nice. Thanks very much. Well, you know, Mick from Hatscarf for Badge, I've known for years. I, I just think he does some of the best t-shirts. It's that thing, isn't it? You know, when you go into the club shop, then they're a bit naff, aren't they? You know what I mean? They've somehow not quite got what your average fan wants. And I'm not quite sure how they keep missing the boat on that. And then, you know, you look at someone like Mick and then like um, uh, Love, Follow, Conquer again, do some kind of great t-shirts, you know, and you look and you go, why don't the club listen and see what people really want? Exactly. And I mean, I'm probably... I'm wearing like a Liverpool one, which is from the shop, but it's one of the very yeah. few I've bought from a shop, to be fair. I'm, I'm yeah. like you. I go to independent, like, moving unit, and there's there's loads on out there that do really, really yeah. good stuff, like you said, like hat, scarf, and a badge, and um, love uh, follow conquer and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I just thought we'd get into it, Simon, like, just start from the, the beginning, really, and how you became a Liverpool fan back, back in the day. We might buy... My family are lifelong Liverpool fans. I mean, this, the, I think the story that illustrates it best of all is my, my grandfather uh, was offered a contract at Everton and turned it down because he was a, a Liverpool supporter. Um, so it's, it's always been the way that that's our family. And my dad denies that he ever said this. But when I started primary school, my best mate at the time was an Everton fan. And I came home from school and I said, you know, how come... You know, we're, um, we're Liverpool fans, not Everton fans. And my dad, he, he, was, he was a Catholic. Um, my dad said to me, he goes, well, son, he goes, you know that we're God's chosen people because we live on Merseyside. I said, yeah, yeah, I know that. Dad. He goes, well, we're their particularly chosen ones 
because we're Liverpool fans, so we can't be anything else. And my dad's this day, and I said, I would never, ever say that, but he did. I remember it clearly. So I suppose that illustrates really that that's, that's our family. And I'm also glad to say, even though, you know, I've lived in Manchester for 34 years and both my kids were born in Manchester, uh, then my son Hamish, who's 19 now, he has always been a red, which is, which is great. Oh, even better then, as long as you, you can get a yeah. win over born Man yeah. Unions and make them Liverpool fans. That's it, yeah. Take that as a take that as a win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and and another thing I noticed, I don't know if you remember, like I think it might have been last week or the week before, um, someone that I know on on Twitter, Colin, mentioned that you used to sit in the lower Kemlin at, at Anfield. Um, yeah. Do you, do you still go most of the games? I, I know I've spoke to you since we started chatting, and I know you do anyway. I, I mean, I go to as many as I can. I think work is the only thing that stops me. Um, a lot of it depends on the time of the games. Last season, I did really, really well. I think I went to 15, maybe 16 last season. I also had a really brilliant year last year because my, my lad, Hamish, again, then he'd started a degree apprenticeship, but he only had to work three days a week. So we also went away to Atletico Madrid, went away to Milan, went to the Champions League final. Uh, and I just had a really great time going away with him. But it could be that, you know, for example, I can't do 5.30 on a Saturday games because I have to get to London on a Saturday night and I miss the last train. Uh, I can't do the earlies on a Sunday because I'm in London. Uh, I can manage the 4.30. So I go to as many as I possibly can. But I, get, I gave up my season ticket when, when I was in the Kem- Lower Kemlin. Um, then I, I didn't have restaurants then. So this is going back a good few years. And then when I started having restaurants, then basically I worked all the seven, you know, all, all seven days a week. You know, I, I opened the first restaurant in 1990 and it became harder. First of all, I then shared it with a mate of mine. We did 50-50, but then he was getting like 80-20. So then we did 75-25. But, you know, I, I just, I'm just not going. So I had a few years when I, when I barely, barely went. Uh, but I'm lucky now that, you know, I, I get to go to, you know, many more than I used to. Yeah, and it's a good, it's a good time to go, which we'll, we'll come to towards the end of the show, just so you can, you can stick around and listen to the rest of the stuff first before we get into the, before we get into that stuff. Um, I don't know, it's, it, it's maybe not the nicest topic, but um, I know that you were there on the day at, at Hillsborough. Um, and I've seen some of the pictures actually with you with a big mop of big mop of air, which is uh, looking very snazzy with the with the long hair yeah. back in the back in the day. Uh, but as a twenty six year old, and obviously it's it's sadly one of our darkest days. But now that you look back, and obviously like it was ruled um, in two thousand sixteen that it was unlawful killing, like after twenty seven years, which is obviously twenty seven years too late. Obviously a lot of unnecessary blood, sweat, and tears, and kind of but it did kind of show the power of the people that have built it in a, in a way and that's kind of what you've got to take from it albeit the outcome is still isn't what we want is it yeah no uh, and that whole day you know all of us that were there know the fact that there's lies from the outset and i think that that's the biggest thing about it isn't it i think that if the day after that the government the police they would have held out and said oh, we've made some mistakes here then I think everyone would have said, yeah, you did, but thank you for acknowledging it. Um, and then, of course, then the, the dreadful headline from the Sun compounded the whole thing, where it just became lie upon lie upon lie. Um, and it still hurts now. I, I, I still find it hard, as, as many people do, 
to talk about it without I, I could feel, you know, I feel tension and emotion kind of welling up in me there. Standing there and, and watching it unfold um, is still probably, you know, the, the darkest time of, of my life. Um, and it, I think, like many Liverpool fans, I don't think there's a day goes by that it doesn't enter my thoughts. And I, I think it, it always, always will. And I, I think it always should as well, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, it's, it's, it's with you. And it's with you, not for a not for a good thing, but for a thing that you can take forward in your life, and you can always go. Well, I was there. I saw it unfortunately unfold, but it yeah. showed, like I said before, the power of the people of Liverpool. That you don't you don't want to mess with, with 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 us in terms of trying to pull a fast one and try and say that we're doing this and we're doing that, yeah. and it clearly wasn't the case. And um, in terms of that, then, did you end? Did you watch? Sorry, Simon, go on. Well, I think the thing I was going to say about this is I also think one of the things that I and a person that I really greatly admire as a result of it, um, the day that Andy Burnham did a speech um, at the memorial service and got shouted down justice, and the day after he said, I will, I will push on this, and fair play to him, he did. And, you know, Andy Burnham, who's now, you know, mayor of Greater Manchester, and I think that he is a fine modern politician. And I, and I think, you know, the, I think everybody connected with the whole of what happened to Hillsborough. I think he has been very instrumental in setting the wheels in motion. That, OK, the outcome hasn't been everything that we wanted. But nonetheless, I think without his intervention, I still think we would have been where we were prior to that day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, did you did you watch the uh, the Anne documentary, the Hillsborough documentary? I, I, I couldn't watch it, to be honest with you. I can't. I can't watch anything about it, um, whether it be dramatisation or old footage. And in fact, um, two weekends ago on Sunday brunch, we were doing an outside broadcast from the Tramlines Festival that's right by um, right by Hillsborough. And I, when they were taking me from the hotel, I said to the driver, I said, do we drive past Hillsborough? He said, well, we can do it. I said, no, no, I, I, I was going to say if we do. Can we go another way? Because I, I just think, I don't know if you, I think the closest I've seen to anything about it is the Kenny Dalgleish film. Um, and that moment when Kenny goes back to Hillsborough and he can't bring himself to go down the hill. And I, I get it. You know, I, I, that moment in the film and, you know, you see all the magnificent things that Kenny Dalgleish is and you think, I get it. You know, 32 years on, I, I still couldn't face, you know, going in that stadium. So I can't watch anything about it. Can't do it. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was born in '89, so I, I weren't even thought about it at that at that time. But I mean, I was always also at tramlines, and I, I went to, um, I went to the Hillsborough ground after, and it even like, obviously not obviously being alive and whatever, but to kind of live the life of what it was and what what it became and the fight and all that behind it to kind of go and see the ground and stuff. I think it's something every Liverpool fan should do. I think of my age anyway, especially to kind of experience maybe the atmosphere in there and, and to, to kind of yeah. see what, what it was like and maybe, yeah, to kind of maybe immerse yourself in that and kind of think and be glad maybe that you weren't there and you weren't entangled in, in all that, albeit yeah. obviously. It's, I, I always think one of the things that... Um, my kids and their generation don't understand is 
that they what they couldn't understand is that after that game that we then had to drive for miles because obviously every single public phone box the queues were you know miles long and we just got in the car and said right let's go and find let's go and find someone we can get so we drove miles out of Sheffield and found this pub sort of up in the hills and we're in there and you know the landlord was just a proper gent he said listen come upstairs into into my accommodation phone your families let them know that you're safe um, and that whole thing of mobile mobile phones we're so used to aren't we that you know you pick up your phone you've got the world literally in your hands and that whole thing of like my family waiting to hear words that you know I was safe and, and, and everybody else I think that's that's the other thing that you know that you forget we're so used to technology now yeah and I think yeah that's one of those things that you don't even yeah you don't even factor in do you when you think about it no. from a perspective now you're not thinking about the logistics of having to travel to yeah phone boxes and, and whatever else and obviously yeah. like you said people waiting for words and obviously seeing it on the news and not knowing if you're safe and stuff so that's like exactly that's, yeah. it adds to the terror doesn't it in a way um, but yeah, I haven't I haven't watched the Anne documentary either. I think I, I think I will eventually, but I think yeah, I just can't. Uh, I feel like I should, but I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, you know, I, like I say, even talking about it now, I can't. It, it's like not a deep breath moment. Really is. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's just one of those, isn't it? Like I, I think I will watch it just out of I don't know. It's like out of respect to kind of watch how they yeah. portrayed it in a way and whatever, but. At the time when it was coming out, I was like, I'm happy it's out there and people are watching it. But yeah. I, I was like, I, I can't, or even though I weren't old enough and whatever, to be at the time and whatever, to be a Liverpool fan and stuff. But just the whole history behind it and stuff is just, it just holds so much yeah. weight, doesn't it? Um, but let's move on to something a bit lighter because, I mean, we could chat about Hillsborough all day and an, albeit a, not, not a nice topic to talk about. So we'll move on to no. Um, no. something. That, a little bit lighter and um before we just talk about Sunday brunch a little bit before we get back onto the local <laughs> stuff. What, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um obviously you've been doing that with uh, Tim Lovejoy for is it ten ten years now? Ten years, yeah. And then we did six years on the B before that. So Tim and I have worked together every weekend for, for the last sixteen years. It's a it's a long time. Not not sick of him yet. <laughs> well, it's, I, think <laughs> you, you become, I mean that in a nice you, you I mean that in like a nice a, way. You, but you become like an old married couple, you know what I mean? Yeah. That you know, th- there are times when we will get on each other's nerves, but fundamentally, we are very, very close friends. You know, we've got kids of a similar age, we're very serious about what we do, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Both love our footy, so you know, it, it's it's a joy, it, it, it really is. It really is the best job in the world. You know, we get we get paid to have fun for three hours every Sunday, it's it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and you have some like amazing guests, and you get to eat your lovely food. Incredible, and it's like yeah, yeah it, I mean, it, it, it is incredible. I mean, I think I think we probably punch above our weight, you know, for a for a show that's on a Sunday morning at nine thirty. You know, to think we've had the likes of kind of like you know Phil Collins and movie stars on, and Kenny Dalglish has been on, and John Barnes has been on. You think it's just brilliant, and we get paid to do it. It's just it's incredible. No, for me, Sunday morning, bang, Sunday brunch on. I'm not just saying that. That's just that's just that's just a ritual, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people are the same as well. Um, but you just mentioned some guests that you had there. Um, what's who's been your favourite? If you can pick one, I mean, you can. 
I think every time they're on, I think Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer bring something to the show that nobody Absolute else does. Legends. Because they don't live on our planet. You know, they really, really don't. The, the, the very first time they were on, so, you know, that thing, it's back in the days when we used to cook with the guests and um, sort of pre-COVID. And um, we're there and, you know, we sort of say to them, so do you both cook? And um, Vic goes, goes, well, I don't. So Bob likes to cook, don't you, Bob? And he goes, yeah. He goes, what was that lovely thing you made for me the other day? He goes, oh, the risotto with the headache of a swan. <laughs> and it, where does that even come from? And then just their world is just brilliant. And it, it, when they're on, you just let them go because you don't know where they're going to go at all. They're, they're just they're just genius. They're, they are always my, my favourite guests. Always, always. But then, but then you get surprising guests like Phil Collins, I, I sort of mentioned before. Um, and he was just the sweetest, loveliest man. Um, you know, at the, end, at the end of the day, you know, he's a relatively old man now, but you know, he's a, he's, you know, he's a big rock star and he's in there, he's in our little sort of area, our little green room area. And I'm just chatting away to him. He stands and he goes, Simon, do you think it would be all right if I asked somebody if I could have another cup of tea? He, Mate, you're Phil Collins. They'll, they'll, <laughs> bring you, they'll, they'll bring you a banquet if you ask them. And he was just, and it, I think that's the thing. I guess that's also true probably in many walks of life, that the, the bigger the star, then the nicer they tend to be, really. You know, they, they, we had Kathleen Turner on the show. She could not have been more fun. She was the most laid-back person. Didn't rock up with a big entourage. Hair and hair agent, that was it. And then she just did her own makeup, got on with it, and she, she was brilliant. Oh, Phil Collins, like me dad's favourite singer. And then obviously that was passed on to me as a kid. So, yeah, what a, what a legend. And obviously... Um, this is episode five of Famous Fans, but episode four was Alex Horn, and obviously he's the creator of Taskmaster. Uh, he's been on the show; he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously he had Bob Mortimer on Taskmaster, and we had a, a, like a ten minute chat just about Bob Mortimer, just because he's a legend. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. It's like uh, it's like when he's ever on um, Would I Lie to You? Bob Mortimer just lives in a completely different world. The 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 episode of Would I Lie to You, where Bob Mortimer talks about Chris Rea putting an egg in his bathroom. If you've never seen it, check it out on YouTube. It is the best television you will ever see in your life. It is just so brilliant. So brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I definitely second that because I've seen it and it's absolutely hilarious. Alex Horn, incidentally, the thing is always, always amused about Alex Horn is he's six foot. And, you know, because you describe as little Alex Horn because he sits <laughs> on a lower seat than Greg, of course, is really tall. And then when you reach you go, you can't be Alex Horn. You're tiny. <laughs> yeah, because Greg's just like what six seven. He's just a mammoth of a yeah, man. Yeah, and yeah. Alex Horn's like yeah, yeah. six foot. Same, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. He's a he's a legend. He, that was a great episode with Alex. He was it's such a gent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously f- favorite guest. You just named a load there. But I just thought we'd just jump a little bit over to to just food a little bit more. And obviously you've got a lot of restaurants and stuff and and um obviously a, a newer one that's that's opened another another greens restaurant that's opened recently like an expansion yeah. how's how's that all been going it's been been amazing i mean we opened greens was my first restaurant the original greens in Didsbury um in 1990 and all, every other restaurant i've had we've always done good veggie food and it's always been sort of part of the heritage and then about 18 months ago i don't know why i just thought it felt like all the ducks were in a row there's a bigger interest in veggie and vegan food. And 
restaurants have a certain amount of ego and arrogance about them. And I was seeing a lot of things that were open up with like fake meat and blah, blah, blah. And I don't do any of that. But I thought, you know what? I still think that what we do is more interesting, exciting and relevant. So I just decided in a moment of madness that wouldn't it be great to open yet another restaurant. So we opened four weeks ago. Um, and I said to you before we came in, Emic, that, you know, I'm, I'm actually back on the tools. I mean, I spend a lot of time in the kitchens, but normally my role is sort of developing food not actually being in service. And I've forgotten how hard it is to do it day in, day out. Doing the odd shift is fine, but I've been in the kitchen full time now for the last five weeks. My hips, my knee, my back, my shoulders, you name it, 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 all, it all hurts. I feel, I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like a little withered old man. I can't stand up straight at the moment, but I'm loving it. It's been really busy. It's, it's been brilliant. And, you know, we've, we've just had really nice feedback. Um, and Ian Rush has been in. So it's got to be good. Wow. Rushy. Bloody hell. Boss that. Yeah. I think it's one of those you're saying about like clicks. And that's where every part of your body clicks. I mean, I I, yeah. I, I can't say much. I'm only 32. So I'm not going to start saying I'm an old man and whatever. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if you have Rushy in that, that's amazing. I was also going to ask. So the, the greens, the green stuff's obviously vegetarian. But you're, are, you, are you a full a full veggie then or you're not, no, you're not a veggie are you i'm not I, I mean what happened is when we when we opened greens in 1990 um we were looking to buy a restaurant but we had we had no money basically um and back in the day like now if you decide you want to open a restaurant you find an empty shop and you can turn it into a restaurant but back then planning consent was very different you you weren't allowed to just open a restaurant you had to get what is still called a three usage um but you had to really buy an existing premises so Greens existed as a very sort of very hippie, downbeat veggie calf. Um, and we managed to persuade a bank to lend us the money to, to buy it. Um, and the plan originally was that we keep it for two years and then open in inverted commas, a real restaurant. And I just fell in love with cooking veggie food um, almost from day one. Um, and then we won quite a few awards quite early on. I think because inadvertently we were sort of quite trailblazers. I think because we weren't veggie. Because a lot, back then, a lot of veggie food was very kind of, it, it's always about what you couldn't eat rather than celebrating what you could. And ours was always, right, well, we've got amazing ingredients, we've got amazing cheeses, we can make great sauces. Why don't we just celebrate that? Rather than, no, you mustn't eat that and you mustn't eat that. So we've always gone with that, really. And that, that brought us loads and loads of success. And to this day, I still think it's, from a cooking point of view, then it's still the most challenging from a creativity point of view. You've always got to do something. You know, you get a nice piece of fillet steak, take it out the wrapper, put it in the pan, cook it, game on. Get an aubergine, it's quite tricky to do that. You know, you've, you've got to do something with it. So you've got to be creative. Yeah, I think it's one of those things I've always thought about. Like, I, if I had to, I could become a veggie. I think I could. Because when mm -hmm. I've been to, like, nice restaurants and you you go, I fancy the veggie option, you have it, you're like, this is actually really nice. And it's like, yeah. but, the, but then I probably crave steak the next day. It's one of those things. Yeah, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think it's, I, find, I find now that I eat less and less meat, not for any reason other than it's just almost been that that's the way it's sort of developed, really. Um, but yeah, it's, I, but also I think it's a thing that you don't have to be veggie to come and enjoy veggie food. You know, in the same way that, you know, I love going for a curry, but I'm not Indian, you know what I mean? It's that... It's the it's the cuisine that you're going for, rather than you know. Say, oh, I can't go there because because I'm, I'm not veggie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in terms of obviously, you've 
obviously opening greens in 1990 and, and obviously do, doing loads more stuff since then. Um, have you got a, a favorite chef that you've you've worked with or have you got someone that you want to work with in the future or anything like that? Well, I, I suppose I suppose in terms of favorite chef that I've worked with is somebody who isn't famous. Back in about 1994, um, this Aussie lad just walked in through the door of Greens. We were looking for a chef. And he, the Australian cuisine back then, they did all that kind of like that fusion cuisine, that using kind of like your Southeast Asian flavours with European flavours. And he came in and sort of revolutionised the way that I thought about ingredients, really. And like called Gavin Hunter, still in touch with him now. He's back in, back in Oz. And he was a big influence on the way that I cook. Um, but then in terms of sort of famous chefs, if you like, um, whilst I don't think I, I want to work with any of them, I still love watching Rick Stein. If this is someone on, this is probably one of the few people I watch cook on telly, it's Rick, because he's a great storyteller. Um, and he, I think he makes things very accessible. Um, and he, he has a love of ingredients. And he's still the person that whenever he's on, if I'm flipping through the channels, I'll skip through pros unless it's Rick and I, I will I will watch him. Yeah, and I know it's something on the Sunday brunch where you you'll kind of just flick to someone who's done like a recipe, and sometimes yeah. if it's someone else, I might go, "Oh, I'll turn over for now." But if it's Rick Stein, I'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll fancy yeah. a bit of this." <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it just makes you want to do it, doesn't he? He makes you want to be in a kitchen. I think you know. I think he's a I think he's a tr- a tremendous and and you know I do a podcast called Grilling, and he was a great guest on there. He's a he's a really good storyteller because he became a chef by default um, that he was a nightclub owner and uh, the nightclub got shut down because um, fishermen kept fighting in it. So he thought, I've got this premises, what we're going to do. I know I'll open the restaurant. So we'd worked a little bit when he was younger as a fundamentally as a kitchen porter and a veg prep chef thought, well, I'll just start cooking food. And that, that's how he started. So his, his stories are good as well. He's lived a life, Rick Stein. Let me tell wow. you. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me because he does seem like, He's been like enriched by life and enriched by what he's doing because yeah. that it comes out in the storytelling, doesn't it? I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought we'd move on from food a little bit, Sam, and we'll we'll get back to what a Liverpool podcast, the Liverpool FC podcast. So I just thought we'd jump back into that a little bit, and I thought we'd come back to the current Liverpool setup and, and just ask you what what you've made of um, Jurgen Klopp since he came in in two thousand and fifteen. Just the. the the greatest time I think in all my time as a Liverpool fan, including like, you know, having been somebody who was there in the glory days of the eighties, I think this has been the greatest time I think, because he came in when we weren't in a particularly good place. You know, don't get me wrong. I think that Brendan Rodgers did a much better job than people give him credit for under the restrictions that he had. Um, But Jürgen came in and got the city. I got the club from, from the outset um, and I think that he's a, he's a very clever human being, you know, he's a, he's, he's a good socialist, um, he's a good motivator of people, um, and I, I, I love him, and I think that, that's, that's the, the, the starting point for it. Um, and then the evolution that he's done, because I always think you know, football asks you about evolution, not revolution, really, unless, you know, things are really dire and they weren't really dire. And he very quickly changed it. And that doubt is to believe it. All of his little sound bites he's done are, are magnificent. And, you know, you want to think that they're all off the cuff, but you know there's a very clever man in there. Um, like, 
when he criticised everybody for leaving early um, at the Crystal Palace game, they beat and they said, like, I felt lonely. And it's changed the whole dynamic of, of what I don't know, people still do leave before the end, but not in the droves that they were back in the day. And some of his signings, well, you know, it's, it's just Virgil van Dijk, Alison Becker, Mo Salah, just incredible, incredible signings. And, and still it continues, you know, and I know he's not the only one that controls that, but and that, that team spirit, you see the way that all the players are with him and he's, he's the boss. You know, that, that's the whole thing, isn't he? He, he is the boss. Yeah, and I think it's it's testament to how good he is at identifying players that um, when we signed Darwin Nunes, there was all of a sudden a clamour for him to fail. And yeah. it's like, I think that's kind of the thing where we sign players now and rival fans go, we want him to fail. We're, we're, de- we're going to try our best to make him <laughs> fail. But Darwin Nunes yeah. then pops up with a goal against Man City and a goal against Fulham. Um, yeah. So to kind of silence them briefly for now, obviously, hopefully, silence us even more for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, yeah. I thought we, well, I mean, we're going to timestamp the video a little bit about talking about Fulham, but I just thought we'd jump into that a little bit um, and just ask what you made of it. Obviously, drawing two to a first game of the season wasn't great, but it well, was... I, I went. No, I, I went, and it's um, we just looked off it from the start. I thought, I, I, I thought that. You know, sometimes you you go and you see five minutes and you think we're getting bullied here. We're we're not we're not soaking up the pressure. We're getting bullied. There's a difference, isn't it? You know, sometimes teams will come at us and you think you're not really hurting us, but you felt. I, I mean, I can't think of anybody in the first half who actually had a good game. I'm really, really struggling to think who actually you'd sort of go, well, you know, well, at least he had a good game. You know, even even Virgil looked a little bit shaky, I thought, in the first half. Um, yeah. I think I think maybe know, Diaz may, might be the only one who scored an, a goal which was offside and then hit the post. But apart from that, I don't think there's yeah. anyone. Yeah. But, but even Diaz, I, I felt, I didn't know where he was playing. I, I, I thought he was... Coming in too far and coming too deep because a lot of times when Robbo got the ball and had absolutely no outlet because I felt like Diaz was going, I mean, maybe that was what he was told to do, but it felt a weird tactic that we weren't stretching them. Um, but yeah, it was poor. But the minute Nunes came on, we looked better. I do actually think if we hadn't conceded the penalty, I think we would have gone to win. At 1-1, when we equalised, I thought, right, that was the first time we looked as if, you know, we, we might do something here. But... You know what? We're not going to win every game, and I think that I think the good thing is that Klopp straight after said we, we were dreadful, we weren't good enough, and you want that, don't you? I think there's nothing worse as a fan when you hear your manager go, "Well, there's some positives to take from it." He, he didn't have any. Oh yeah, longer the days where we what was it draw with like Blackpool and Roy Hodgson comes out saying we're not too big for a relegation oh. fight. <laughs> The stuff, yeah. stuff and nightmares, yeah. but yeah, that's that's what you want from you want a manager to come out and say we were shit. It needs yeah. sort, and the attitude yeah. weren't great, and it's gonna. Yeah. It, hopefully, it'll be sorted for next Monday against Palace. So that that's what we want. Um, yeah, but yeah, that, not a great start. Obviously, City go on to beat West Ham and Haaland scores twice, and you kind of like oh, all my nightmares. But I think that's true. good. You know, I I think that's good because I think if City hadn't won then we'd be sitting there going, yeah, you know what, but at least City didn't win. And we'd be going, we kind of got away with it. Was it because they did win and Haaland looks like he's going to score 40 goals this season. Then you go, well, you know what, I've shown that's one of the very few points that we can afford to drop. 
so you know we, we, we've got to go for it yeah very good point i hadn't thought about that like that that's a yeah that's a very that's a very good point because obviously we would have then maybe rest on our laurels a little bit for the palace game and then yeah might not have big yeah. ourselves up in the right in the right way um but yeah we're getting towards the end simon and i just thought we'd um have a little play a little game before we go obviously if you've if you've watched Sunday <laughs> brunch you know that they do a thing called King of the Tin, which is basically you choose your favourite biscuit <laughs> and you choose your worst biscuit. So King of the Tin, your favourite biscuit, Crumb Dungeon, your worst biscuit, or Crumb Dungeon slash Crumb Crumption. Um, Better known as the Crumption. Yes. The Crumption, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But I just thought, initially I was, I was going to say, let's do it with biscuits, but I thought that might be a bit boring. So I thought, let's do it with footy players. And I tried to, <laughs> tried to think of a nice little fancy name to call it, but I couldn't think of any. So I just thought, we'll just call it what it, what it is. Uh, so I just thought to ask you your favourite ever Liverpool player of all time and your worst. Favourite's got to be Kenny. Um, I remember seeing him, because I, I loved Keegan when I was young. So like I'm, I'm 59. So when Keegan left in 77, I was 14. And I was gutted. Um, and then Kenny came in and I saw his first game against Newcastle. And I forgot about Kevin Keegan overnight. He was absolutely magnificent. And I'm also, do you like to say, he's become a friend over the years, which I find, you know, people say you shouldn't meet your heroes. Well, I, I got involved doing some work with um, Marina's foundation and got to know him. And he's just, he's just the, the loveliest man. And I think also touching back on Hillsborough, I think I don't use the word hero very lightly. I think Kenny Dalglish became my true hero, uh, the way he behaved as a human being at Hillsborough. Um, and I think, you know, that that for me is is his great asset. But as a player, he is the number one for me. If I was going to go for a two and three, I'd probably go Stevie Gerrard as two. <sighs> then I'm torn between Robbie Fowler and Ian Rush for three. But, you know, it, it gets hard. But then you equally then you look at things like I always loved Ray Clements and I loved Alan Hansen, but let's just stick with Kenny because otherwise this is going this is going to go on for hours. I was going to say you spoil for choice. You really are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And worst ever. Wow. El Hajjouf. <laughs> uh, I, I I think I'm probably going to go Sean Dundee. Um, uh, it was either him, either him or Voronin, really, but at least Voronin scored the odd goal. I remember watching poor Sean Dundee um, come on as a sub, and I forget it was, we lost at home. During that dreadful spell, we couldn't beat anybody. And the ball came over to him on the right-hand side, now, back in the days when I was sitting in the Kremlin, and he went to trap the ball and completely missed it and were out for a throw-in. And, you know, normally everyone would moan. Everyone just laughed. Because you felt, you know, this, and, and I, I, I hate saying a worse player because I've never been one to kind of boo players or anything, but he was never good enough, ever, ever, ever. Who would your worst ever be, Nick? I think I would go El Hajj Juf, to be honest, only because, oh, yeah. only yeah. because I think it helps in my mind anyway, because we got an Elka on loan, we should have signed an Elka permanently. And yeah, of sure. course, the late great Gerard, Gerard Houllier, like went for El Hadjouf instead, and then he became yeah. the worst human being to ever pull on a Liverpool yeah, shirt. The did. whole spitting thing, and I was yeah. just like, just not a good fella. Maybe not the worst if you count if you factor in all like football and ability. Maybe not the worst yeah. in that respect. Yeah. But as a as a collective, I think it's him you know, for me. 
you know, I think it's a, I think it's a good because you kind of you're ashamed to say he was a Liverpool player. Yeah. That whereas, like, I'm not ashamed to say Sean Dudley. You think Paul Lad was never really good enough. But El Hadji, you're right. I think you know. I think you've, I think you've, I think you've beaten me there because I do, I do think, <laughs> yeah, as a, as a human, then you know, you, you just, ooh, yeah, yeah, he did play for us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and um, to be to be honest, Sam, we did an interview with Sean Dundee about last year or the, maybe the year before, yeah. and uh, we just wanted to get his take on it. Obviously, because he was always listed as like like you rightly said as like the worst Liverpool players, and he's always he was always in that list. So we, me and Jake, yeah. got him on to have a chat, and he kind of just like owned up to it. He just said like, "I wasn't ready. I wasn't fit." I wasn't good enough. Um, if I could do it again differently, I would. And it was like a really, really good chat with like a, a really nice fella who obviously yeah. was brought to the club and it just didn't work out. And I just felt since then he probably would have been in my, he probably would have been mine. But since then, obviously that changes your perspective because you've met yeah, the guy and you've chatted to him and stuff. So um yeah, yeah. Al you and best for me would be Steven Gerrard, but then obviously You've got an yeah. embarrassment of riches with your choices there. So you definitely <laughs> win. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think as an individual, Steven Gerrard undoubtedly is the would win games on his own. Champions League final 2005, obviously being you know the prime example of it. But you know, it was it was amazing. But then equally, you know, already coming into my head, I love Gabby Alonso. Absolutely yeah. love that man. You know, and but then equal on the same vein. I love Jan Moldy back in the day. Anyway, it's it. You know, we we could go on, but and then, but then equally, there's times last season, like when we beat United four 0 Thiago put in a performance and he hit balls that to this day I've never seen a player hit a football. I thought I don't even know how you've done that. Um, but I also think that in ten years' time, when you're still doing this, that the next generation, I think Trent. Will be right up there with with yeah. one of those because I think you know whilst he had a poor game against Fulham, I think he's going to be an absolute utter Liverpool legend. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's a, a good place to leave it. I don't want to take up too much of your time tonight, Sam, but I just wanted to say <laughs> thanks again for for taking the time to jump on, and I re- really appreciate it. Um, that pleasure, I've enjoyed it, mate. Definitely try and get you back on. Obviously, it's only been a forty minute Love video, to. so try and get you on again and do maybe some more chat about Ian Rush and some of the old school players and have a maybe best 11 or something like that. That would be good. <laughs> All right. Love to, mate. Love to. All right. Uh, nice. Yeah. If, if you're watching on YouTube, do um, like the video if you liked it and subscribe. If you're watching on, or if you're listening, I should say, on audio platforms like Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts or Deezer or anything like that, do leave us a, a review because we're trying to get those algorithms better so you can listen to these like podcasts with Sam Rimmer and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, nice one uh, again, Sam, and nice one everyone for watching. And yeah, up the reds, and, and we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.